0: Welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, with The Athletic, he's well-read, but ladies, he won't leave you on read. He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing, buddy?
1: Hey, doing all right. I work in the communications field. I think communications is communication is important. I don't leave people on read.
0: Words to live by. So we are now more than a week removed from Miguel Cabrera hitting his 500th home run, Cody and I recorded a special episode, what, 20 minutes after it happened? I mean, pretty immediately. um, If you want some of our raw thoughts afterward, you can go download that Apple Spotify. I think now is a good time to maybe assess the national reaction. Um, I'm so deep into, like, Detroit social media for like all the teams so it's hard for me to gauge like are these guys getting the acclaim that they deserve nationally I know Miguel Cabrera was a talking point on PTI where Michael Wilbon passionately and honestly Kind of disagree with it, but I, I love what he was doing, you know, saying, like, what has Ma- Mike Trout done? And I was like, that's probably a little too far. It's a little too far. Uh, <laughs> but passionately saying that we should be talking about Miguel Cabrera more, and I would agree. I mean, he just became the 28th guy to reach 500 home runs. He's already got another one under his belt, and he's going to get 3,000 hits early next year, um, the most realistic projection there an all-time hitter and because the team hasn't been good and then his play has like really deteriorated because of injuries and other things. I think it was kind of, I think it was lost on a lot of people just how great Miguel Cabrera is, was even Detroit fans kind of take it for granted to a certain extent because of the contract and the things that we just discussed. But your observations of people, in the baseball community. Do, do you think Miggy got his due this week?
1: I have two thoughts on this. And the first is that, unfortunately, I just don't think we glamorize the 500 home run club quite like we used to. Um, I'm One of my hottest baseball takes is that the steroid era was awesome. We grew up in the steroid era. I'm not endorsing the use of steroids, but the steroid era was kind of fun. Um, as a result of that, there are a lot of people in the 500 home run club now, and there were. It seemed like a time in the early 2000s where someone was joining the 500 home run club every other week, and I think now it. It's not that it's it's not a big achievement, but it's lost its lustre just a little bit. There are now 28 members, not quite as exclusive as it once was. So I think that plays into it not necessarily being so much of a national event. Well, on the other hand, I do think Miguel Cabrera is oddly underrated nationally. I mean, he's going to be one of seven players to have 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. You know, you look at all the, um, the stats and factoids that have come out. He's in a very elite tier of hitters, as I talked about last week. I mean, I think one of the most naturally gifted players ever. And he doesn't seem to quite... Get that acclaim? I don't know why this guy won a triple crown. Even the year of his triple crown, kind of bad timing. So then it was like, well, Mike Trout actually had a higher war. To Mike Wilbon's point, I think Mike Trout should be a lot more famous than he is. So maybe this all it goes back to baseball's marketing problem. Or you have you know Trout, who's not the most um, outspoken personality. You have Miggy, even though he's a lot of fun on the field, he's not. Um, you know, super visible in the media, stuff like that, that must all play into it. But I do think it's it's a shame, um, not necessarily that he didn't get more recognition for his 500th home run. I thought he got a pretty appropriate amount of recognition based on what 500 home runs means now. But I think it's a shame that he doesn't quite get the due for be, really being one of the all-time greats.
0: Yeah, and... What's the problem with baseball will be something for another day, probably in the off season. We'll talk about it. Um, I was just thinking, like, I couldn't even remember the last time Aaron Judge got in the national news. You know, he plays for New York. You know, it, it's just in the Yankees have won, like, 13 in a row or something like that. So it, it's just one of those things. Uh, before we move on to a couple notes about the 500 home run club at large, because I want to give some context, uh, Friday got to unveil – you know the the marker over in the outfield you know 500 then 501 there was a little he finally got his home uh, his home dues so what did you make of the reception that Miggy got in, in the you know presentation that the Tigers put on i thought it was really cool to have his family move the numbers
1: yeah that was cool um AJ Hinch mentioned that that Miguel i don't think he knew his family was out there so when he saw them on the board he kind of perked up I think it it took him by surprise a little bit so that was cool honestly it made me think man I wish he could have hit 500 at home it would have really been an awesome reception it was nice the Tigers did something for him and he got a little curtain call at home but for me it was just like I wish I wish this could have been the real thing here at Comerica Park in Detroit
0: so some numbers with the 500 home run club or guys that could get there Um, The closest is Nelson Cruz, and he has 443. He's 40, I believe. It's hard to imagine him uh, having the lasting power, although he has been phenomenal for many years and uh, has surpassed his age, I would say, in terms of home run production. But it's hard to imagine. Uh, Carlos Stanton is at 336. Robinson Cano also at 3:36, no shot there. He's like 39, 38, or whatever. That is a little higher than I thought he would be. Just generally, uh, Stan is still, you know, young relatively to this discussion. So there's there's a shot there. I'm,
1: I'm surprised he's that high for as much as he's been injured. I would, I would not guessed him to have quite that many.
0: Yeah, well, it's it has really slowed down the past couple of years. His yeah. pace was was really high there for a yeah. while. Joey Vidal, 3:23, not going to happen. Uh, Mike Trout's at 310. So, according to Fangraphs, the average, because of a lot of the sluggers that came out in the you know 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and then the steroid era. Um, on average, we got a new member every 3.4 years, according to Fangraphs. That's not going to happen this time around. I think we're going to wait a little bit longer. I think it could be five years it's hard to gauge with trout because obviously if he's out there he's going to get his 30 to 40 home runs but he's missed a lot of time this year could this become a pattern it's hard you know it's hard to really say what what will his body do in his 30s like he's never been like the prototypical in shape looking guy you know like he's a little bit of a thicker guy so i don't know when he plays the outfield like it's hard to say but we're not going to be able to say this for a while. And, by, and the last guy who made it, it was uh, Ortiz in 2015. So we went six years. So we doubled it. I think we could double get double it again, Cody. I think Miguel Cabrera is going to be the most recent for a handful of years. And to your point, we it's not like we have a lot of home run power in baseball now, but we don't have guys that are able to string together careers like we used to because there's no steroids in baseball anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that we're going to have people popping off and hitting, you know, 60 homers for three or four years in a row. Um, it's just probably overall a good thing. You're right. I, I would assume Trout gets there as long as he stays healthy. But again, you can never fully predict anyone's 30s. I think Mike Trout is an amazing generational player. I, if you look at his numbers, I mean, this guy's, um, Willie Mays in in real time we're watching him in real life and like I said I don't think he quite gets appreciated for that even now we're like oh yeah maybe he'll get ph-. like Mike Trout's gonna get 500 home runs if he stays healthy and is going to have an amazing career but yeah it's gonna take him a few years and and he will have to stay healthy to to get there.
0: Van projects him at an 85% chance of getting 500. It's worth noting though that At around the 29, 30, 31 turn, Miguel Cabrera was very much on pace for six. And that's obviously not going to happen. He was in the news, him being Cabrera, was in the news again because he kind of went public with his, you know, how he wants to ride out into the sunset. He's got two more years left on his contract, and he wants to play that. And he told ESPN that that's when he would like to retire Um, that kind of goes in two directions. Number one, will his body hold up? And number two, will the Tigers be able to ride that out in in the sense of, you know, are you going to be able to put him in the lineups if some of these other guys develop and you start adding more pieces and you're like serious contenders? Can you have your DH on a good season bat 250 and hit? 16 home runs that's gonna that that's one of those things that could be tough down the line so um I don't know if I was necessarily like surprised to to hear Miggy say that but it was something that I thought you know it's he's on the record now so now we gotta maybe like look at that as the line of demarcation for for him and for the team so your reaction to him kind of going public with that
1: yeah, it was one of those things that was just a more definitive version of things he said before. At the end of last year, I, I asked him, or he didn't talk to us via Zoom, so I submitted a question that was, like, asked to him by the team, which was ridiculous. But, um, <laughs> you know, I basically asked him that, and he said um, he wanted to play the next two years and then see what happens. And I was like, okay, well, if he thinks he's going to play beyond the remainder of his contract, then uh, I'm not sure Miguel's living in reality Obviously, it seems like that reality has set in for him a little more now over the past year, so he wants to finish out his contract. Um, That all seems very logical. The only thing that really would have been newsworthy was if he said, oh, I might be done after this year or next year, and you know he wants to finish out the two years on his deal. I think that's very sensible. I think it's probably good that Miguel um, is coming to terms with that. The reality, look, I think... He'll come out in 2022, 20, uh, and he'll get his 3,000 hits. I Miguel on the 2023 roster is kind of hard for me to see if this team really takes strides, if this team's trying to win a World Series or uh, make a legitimate postseason run. I don't know that you need a, a uh, below-replacement level DH, as sad as it is, as great as Miguel is, after he gets his milestones. You know, you're going to have to pay him either way. I think maybe after the 2022 season. Obviously, it'll depend how he feels, how he performs next year. But I still don't quite see him finishing out this entire contract.
0: Well, let me ask you this based on what you know about Miguel, is he going to be okay? Let's just say he finishes out the contract. Is he going to be okay playing? every third day, every fourth day. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that's an ideal role, yeah. but is he going to be okay like ha- him finishing his career that way? Because in theory, this means the Tigers are serious contenders and he would have to recognize that he's not all there um, skill set wise anymore. And with his age, like, do you think he could handle a severely reduced role? A guy who is one of the statistically, like, top seven hitters of all time. I mean, like, I don't know. That's a hard one because he was at the top for so long.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's like he would refuse to do it out of ego or anything. Um, Like we've said, I think we've seen a lot of signs of Miguel kind of coming to terms with his age and his career, and he he continues to talk about um, that his right knee really hurts. But I just don't think it would be fun for him. I mean, he already has expressed he wasn't really having fun when he couldn't play first base. I think he's enjoying this year more because he's playing in the field, because he's playing on a little bit of a better team. Now, if he starts playing every third or fourth day, he's not in the lineup very much. He doesn't feel like he's contributing. At what point does he say, is this what I really want to do? I think for a guy like Miguel, a guy who loves the game and loves to be on the field, it would be tough and just just wouldn't be enjoyable. So especially that seeing that we're kind of seeing signs of him really being aware of who he is and where he's at in his career. You know, I, I think if it got to that point, maybe he would say, you know what, enough is enough. Um, it's all hard to predict. It's all another year or so away, but. It's real. I have a hard, I, yeah, I just have a hard time seeing it. I think if Miguel finishes out his contract, then he's a pretty big liability on that 2023 roster. Even next year, like you talk about Torkelson getting up, you want to, I don't know, like once Twerk gets here, you just have a below, below replacement level DH in Miguel, that's that's rough, but it's reality.
0: True. One last thing on the Miguel attention, uh, did your Miguel Cabrera 500 home run story, did it do good numbers-wise?
1: I uh, got a lot of reads, not necessarily new subscribers. Um Trying to keep my job, I'm trying to keep my dog fed. So for those who missed out last time, we got a new 50% off deal. You can subscribe to the Athletic 50% off. I think that's gonna run through uh mid-September, I believe, but jump on it now and you can read all this coverage and Olive can continue to eat well.
0: Yes, very important. Um uh, I just bought my fiance Jared Goff jersey shirt. That's about the same price as what this deal is at The Athletic. So it's, it's a pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. The, the Athletic,
1: I think, it's going to have more longevity. You're going to get more out of it than the Jared J- Goff jersey shirt when the Lions draft their QB of the future in the next year or two. You're not going to want the Jared Goff shirt. The Athletic, you can read about the Lions QB of the future. You can read about Spencer Torkelson next year. It's, it's, K- it's going to be a better value. Cade K- Cunningham. Cade K- K- Cunningham. It's going to be a better value. Just, just saying.
0: Very true. Another thing you wrote this week, speaking of national attention, so just timing wise it kinda worked out. The Sporting News put out like believe it was Thursday, like a story about the Tigers sort of, you know, after a rough start gaining traction and then you wrote an actually well reported source story about the Tigers starting out rough and and gaining traction and you know, what was like I thought you did a beautiful job visualizing for the for the reader what it was like when they were just playing like dog s and going to New York and facing Garrett Cole and you know late flights it, it perfectly and captured what uh life as a ball player can be like sometimes there's a lot of non-glamorous parts uh but you talk to AJ and you know like Michael Fulmer and all these guys about what the turnaround was like and the major theme seemed to be, trust in the staff and I don't want this to turn into like an anti-Brad Osmus and an anti-Ron Gardenhire, uh topic but if you read between the lines you could definitely tell that these players just I don't know I don't want to say they trusted more maybe you would you were talking to them but it just seemed like they recognized a higher level was demanded um with AJ Hinch and Chris Fetter and George Lombard and and so what when you were reporting this and you're looking at them as they're talking about this what did you kind of glean from 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 them about that specific topic when it's like with the coaching staff and demanding more. That quote, I remember that quote, too, uh, when we were talking about it at the time, when AJ's like, uh, we're not just giving them away playing time. And uh, I, co- I t- completely forgot, like, that was essentially the transition point. Is He talked about that, and guys started playing uh, a lot better. Like, their jobs depended on it, because they did. And so, did you glean that as well that they kind of revered this coaching staff a little bit more
1: yeah i mean totally i I was kind of working on this story over the course of the last month or so kind of whenever i i was sitting down with someone i would just say hey what do you think got you guys through april and you know over time kind of built up um a bunch of different quotes and anecdotes from people and I, i think scope was the first person i talked to and i that was my question like how did you guys get through that brutal April? And scope was basically like, Oh, it was, it was all AJ. You know, it starts with AJ. Robbie Grossman said it, it starts at the top. Casey Mize said the same thing. Former. Most of these guys brought that up organically, which as we've talked about before is it's not like I was like, tell me how great AJ is. You know, I was like, what got you through April? They said the coaching staff. So that, that says a lot unspoken in all this. We don't bring it up a lot. I think kind of, Players don't quite bring it up, I think, almost out of respect for Ron Gardenhire, um, who had a really tough job, who kind of, you know, it, it, the vibe could have been so much worse than it was um, under Gardy, and I think the players respect that too. But I think when Hinch came in, they did recognize this is a new level. I think it did shine light on how far behind, you know, the times the past coaching the previous coaching staff kind of was. Um, how there was a whole new level of being competitive and being detail-oriented and um, even being aggressive in the field like we continue to see that Hinch and Chris Vetter and, and George Lombard and company have brought to the table here. I think the players didn't even necessarily know what was missing until they saw, you know, what a high-end coaching staff looks like, and so they they've naturally come to respect it. And just the vibe, like, it could have gotten very toxic at the end of April. It was, Hinch said, it was was tense, you know. But when the players looked to their coaches, I think they saw some guys who were willing to persevere, who believed that they could continue to help these guys improve. You look at the pitchers specifically and the work Fetters done with them, you know, guys like Kyle Funkhauser, even Joe Jimenez, um, Mize and Skubel, as much as they improved starting in May. I think, I think there was a trust and a belief that they could get more out of these players. And as a result, the players, you know, if you're a player and you feel like your coach believes in you, that, that goes a long way for anyone who's played on any team. Like that is one of those things you qu- can't quantify, uh, but it's real. And so I think, I think that definitely came through talking to players for that story.
0: Yeah, and whenever there are turnarounds, and obviously there's uh, a long way to go, for, for the Tigers. But whenever there are turnarounds, there's always, like, you kind of got to shed... I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but you kind of got to shed dead weight a little bit. You hear stories mm-hmm. of, like, when the Cowboys turned around under Jimmy Johnson, it was, like, basically people who were just there for the paycheck. Michael Irvin was there the year before. He goes, Jimmy, you got to cut this guy, this guy, this guy, because they're not about winning. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm sure... Every player, especially like the Funkhausers of the world, maybe the Formers of the world, uh, Jimenez, some of the guys that were kind of teetering, there's probably they probably each have their own moment of holy, sh-, you know, like I, I can't just kind of get away with uh, with uh, hanging on anymore. I gotta I gotta you know put it to gear so th- that that those stories probably go off the record but i bet you every single one of those players has it and to their credit you know these guys responded there they were a lot of guys that we kind of left for dead you know and and they were able to to find moments to kind of prove themselves a little bit So they deserve credit and the coaching staff deserves credit as well um you know i was having i was having lunch over at a dfw uh southern uh chicken establishment called babe's chicken if you're ever in the dallas fort worth area definitely got to check out babe's chicken hanging out with a buddy of mine who loves to gamble on baseball and he's uh he's telling me he goes you know tigers ain't bad man tigers get a batter or two they could be for real and i was like yes yeah i mean who thought that we'd be having this conversation in september of 2021 i mean you're there's a simple formula for them to be you know like the lower end of contenders next year and as you outlined in your story ownership is saying that it's a real possibility obviously al knows what you know what needs to be done and aj knows what needs to be done carlos correa just flat out said in a story this week, my last year with the Astros, I wanna win a championship. <laughs> uh I mean it's all kind of lining up for the Tigers and they're starting to get a little bit more national pub. Like your story kicked the sporting news stories, but but I like that the sporting the I, I I like that the sporting news story existed because like in a way getting into the national conversation is a step into being a contender if people start saying hey look out for the tigers you know like that's a, that's a good thing for the franchise that's a good thing and then in your this was in your tigers talk i thought the viewership nugget you put in there yeah. was a was amazing can you kind of recap that for uh for people who are about to take advantage of that subscription deal um and then they'll go back and they'll read your tigers talk article and then, even though they could read it for themselves, but you can just kind of highlight it. Basically the Tigers are drawing eyeballs.
1: Yeah. The Tigers, believe it or not, um, this is comparing 2019 and 2021 television data. A lot of teams internally aren't really looking at 2020 as a direct comparison because it was the pandemic things were so weird, but there are only six teams that have seen increases in both household rating and household viewership in those two years. um, we have the Padres, obviously a very exciting team. The Giants, they might win 100 games. The A's, they're postseason contenders. The Dodgers, phenomenal ball club. The White Sox, great team on the rise. And then the Detroit Tigers. The Detroit Tigers aren't going to make the playoffs this year, but they are still one of six teams um, that has seen increases in both of those categories. So viewership is way up. It, in a way, I think it should be noted that 2019 team was so bad and viewership was so low that it kind of had nowhere to go but up. But, you know, um, the the numbers are up 29% in viewership. And this is despite the fact that Bali Sports Detroit has seen a 19% loss in subscribers over that span. So you have less people subscribed to Bali and more people still watching the Tigers. It tells you that the interest is there, as we've talked about. I do still think the Tigers have and their improvement has flown under the radar nationally i've kind of been worried like oh is, is one of our national writers going to want to swoop in and write this big tiger story like covering things i've already that was kind of one reason i wrote that when i did it was like someone wants to come to town and be like look like i got this uh but at the same time it is good to see to see the team you cover get that national pub even mlb.com put a story out saturday morning it's Very basic, but it's like five reasons the Tigers aren't as far from contention as you think. And so, you know, I think that's on the MLB.com homepage. I think it is another, you know, people need to be talking about this ball club this offseason. The Tigers need to be one of the, and their free agent chase needs to be one of the bigger storylines, I think, in the league this offseason.
0: Was there anything when you were kind of scrunching together, you know, records or notes or statistics. Uh, talking to people for that uh, getting through April story. Was there anything that because because you're involved covering the team day to day, sometimes things can things can kind of get washed. But then when you look back, you think, oh, uh, you know that you know didn't realize then you know blah blah blah. Was there anything that when you li- went back and looked, you're like kind of surprised by? that maybe you just kind of forgot because, again, it's a long season and you're doing this every day.
1: Yeah, I think it starts in the, the lead of the story. I mean, I was just on baseball reference and I was like, okay, what happened to the last day of April? And I was like, oh, that was the day they got to New York at 4.30 a.m. after getting destroyed in a doubleheader and then had to face Garrett Cole and then just got absolutely annihilated. Um, kind of fitting that that was the final day of April, one of the, one of the, I don't know, there were a lot of low points in that span of days, and they actually struggled for the next six games after that. But I think that, that 4.30 arrival in New York, fresh off this late game in Chicago, you play the next day against Garrett Cole, really encapsulated just how brutal things were. I mean, that was a brutal stretch of baseball, it was it was awful at bats at the plate from the tigers guys were tired they weren't enjoying it it was kind of a reminder of how bad things were because it it feels so different now that feels like that feels like it was 2019 but it was really just a few months ago and we're thinking wow is this team really going to lose 110 games again um and now look where we are it's a totally different world it's kind of crazy to really just if you really remember how bad april was you know, the Tigers struck out, I think, 18 times that day against uh, the Yankees. 12 of them, I think it's Cole, the doubleheader before that. They they also had double-digit strikeouts, I think, both games against the White Sox. They lost 13 of 15. They went on to lose 18 of 21 before things picked up. So, yeah, that, that was my takeaway from reporting this. It's like, wow, that was really bad.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, that was something else. So... Another illustration of this. I'm going to read the opening day lineup for the Tigers this year. Ooh, this is fun. So, left field, Robbie Grossman, leadoff. All right. Jamie Candelario, third base, second uh, two-hole hitter. This is the one that just feels like three years ago. Willie Castro, batting third (laughs) at shortstop. (laughs) Which, by the way, it's not out of the realm of possibility that next year on opening day there is a shortstop batting third. Just saying. It won't be Willie Kes. I
1: guess it depends who you get. If it's Javi Baez, don't bat him second. Carlos Correa, bat him second. Let's go.
0: I agree. Miguel Cabrera obviously had the home run at first base and cleanup. Jonathan Scope at second base. Uh, That even seems weird. I just think of him as a first baseman now. I know he's been getting some time (laughs) at second base, but I just kind of think of him as a first baseman now. Hopefully he goes back to second next year nomar mazara at dh
1: Oof. was he even i barely remember the nomar mazara era that was <laughs> you know nomar mazara has the longest home run in the stat cast era and this guy hits ground like all i ever saw him do was hit ground balls as a in his brief stint as a tiger
0: crazy a lefty who struggles to pull the ball all you need to know wilson ramos catcher Oof. wow
1: that seems like a different season
0: uh, Victor Reyes, right field, a guy who's had a little bit of a resurgence of of a little bit, just a little bit. You know, we know who he is, but he's had some moments. And Jacoby Jones, oh. center field, and and so yeah, I mean we're so next year for sure. Four guys basically, uh, depending on what the Willie Castro thing is, four guys will not be in the starting lineup next year, opening day. It's a yeah, lot of change. That's a lot that's of change. A lot.
1: There was Eric Haas was in the minor leagues. Akil Badu, We were like, is this guy, this guy, for real or not? We had no idea. Um, Matthew Boyd was your opening day starter. I, I think one of the other incredible things the Tigers have staged this run, minus Matt Boyd and Spencer Turnbull. I mean, they've won games into the summer, starting Willie Peralta and Tyler Alexander and Drew Hutchinson, and having bullpen days. They've done it, minus really their top two pitchers um, in, in spring training, They're their two most established pitchers. I think that almost is a little overlooked. It's, it's kind of remarkable. And then you think, man, if imagine if Turnbull could have stayed healthy the way he was pitching earlier in the year. And Boyd he had a really good start, was beginning to do the typical Matthew Boyd regression.
0: And, yeah, I agree with the, with the Boyd thing. You sort of forget that he's, like, still a member of the – organization for how much longer though you now that's tough to say
1: tough to say that the tigers are gonna have a tough call this offseason on whether to tender matt boy to contract he's gonna make an excess of six million dollars um i think he's worth having on the on the team could certainly hold down a back in rotation spot but the bang for your buck when you're trying to add elsewhere um it's going, to be, it's going to be a tough call. And then I think, how much do you really value the, the locker room presence, stuff like that? Does that really speak over dollars and cents? Where you could maybe non-tender him and end up getting him back at a cheaper price. So um, we'll talk about that a lot more this offseason, I'm sure. But that is a looming decision the Tigers will have to make.
0: And Turnbull is going to be a guy that we forget about just because... He, he's not going to pitch all next
1: year either. Yeah. It's crazy.
0: So he's going to... And then he's gonna have to come back, and like how much of a comeback process that is. I mean, it's even though that surgery's been going on for what is it, fifty years now, uh, it's it, there's still no way to really predict how a guy's gonna be able to bounce back from that. So he, he he's gonna be lost in the conversation, and when he does come back, what's what's the team? he's gonna come back to a completely different team, like like a completely different mindset. It'll be very interesting to follow. When that does happen. Um, One of the things that we had talked about preseason was like some outlook stuff for the team. And we talked about this before the Tigers had shown this kind of growth. But like the hierarchy of the division is very challenging. He's talked about the White Sox, really good team and on the rise. Uh, The Royals are also stacked in a lot of places uh, prospect wise and the indians are i guess maybe depending on if terry francona retires uh for real um hopefully not obviously he's great for baseball i mean maybe that kind of alters it a little bit but the indians and the future guardians like they are always relevant and the twins to a certain extent kind of find a way to you know bring players up and develop players at at a good clip this is a has a making of a really stacked division do you raise the tigers a little bit in the in the hierarchy based on we what we've seen because coming into the season we were like yeah they're promising but they're still kind of bottom tier if we project uh just the division does that change is that change now in your mind
1: it's a reminder that things can change quickly earlier in the year one of the things i always loved to throw out there was like Who finishes in last place in the AL Central in 2024? Or 2023? Like, in theory, all those teams were supposed to be good. I think it does the Tigers a world of good that the Twins have kind of imploded this year and now could be facing the prospect of, or, that you know, they they made some trades. They're going to have to rebuild their roster a little bit. I still think they have a good front office with with Thad Levine running things over there and um, generally a well-run organization, but it looks like The Twins being this perennial force in the division is not going to happen. The Indians slash Guardians, one of the very best player development systems in all of baseball, so I wouldn't write them off, but they're entering a rebuilding phase. There's not a lot of premium talent left on that Major League roster anymore. Even I think there are a couple nice hitters in the farm, but it now seems like they pretty clearly rank below the Tigers. I wouldn't write off the Royals. Um, really good farm system. You got Bobby Witt coming up, and then their their ownership has um, proved that it's already willing to be aggressive. So I wouldn't write off the Royals. But overall, the Tigers, in theory, have a little more high-end talent. Now I'm starting to view it as like, okay, like Tigers and White Sox should be maybe I don't know, maybe predicted to finish one-two in the division next next year, like. That conversation has really changed, in part because the Tigers have played well, also in part because the Twins have been a massive disappointment, and the Indians have, have just kind of shown um, the making of a team that's that's probably going to be mediocre for a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you what, uh, Riley Green and Spencer Turkelson are they are doing nothing to quell any hype for next year. <laughs> they... They are taking on Triple A and Kreidler uh, too. Like,
1: I, I mean, they killer, all look yeah. like
0: dudes that are like, I'm not gonna say major league ready, but ready to be in the majors.
1: Riley Green looks like he might be your best outfielder right now. I mean, <laughs> like, offense. Twenty
0: years old still, right? Yeah, that's insane. That's absolutely insane. Not a not a slam dunk pick either at the time. I think people need to. Oh. People need to remember, the Tigers were pretty much locked in on him. Uh, for a while, it was a pretty safe bet that they were going to take him, but it wasn't like it was, you know, like the Mize pick. I know it's different because it's number one overall, but it's not like the Mize pick or the Torque pick where, like, yeah, you're going to do this, it, you know, there's no no rebuttals. There were plenty of rebuttals for Riley Green, this skinny outfielder who could hit and I mean, people were talking about him like he couldn't tie shoes in terms of like his fielding ability. <laughs> and I think he could be... I think he's a plus defender. He's a plus defender right now in my mind. Uh, so the, the, the hype is going to be real in February and March and April um, with those guys. As of right now, you probably got to bet that they're going to make the team out of camp. Kreidler, I don't know. I don't, I don't have as good a read on him. But it's hard to say that he hasn't earned the right to be in that discussion right now.
1: Yeah, I mean the kid's got a legit future. Again, I would, I would pump the brakes on him just a little bit. The the, the hitting profile still is not as advanced as Green or Torkelson. Uh, but the things he can do defensively will give him a shot to be in the roster conversation. You, you know if you need a utility infielder, I'd be very surprised if he makes the team like out of camp. And even Riley and and Spencer, right now. And I said it last week. I. Kind of think they should make the team out of camp, but we will we will see we will see how they fare in big league spring training. There's a lot to be determined between now and then. But we're going to see plenty of those guys next year, without a doubt.
0: Well, the big thing that Kryler did was he crashed. Well, he supplanted Dylan Dingler from he from the say, triplet you conversation. You got
1: to bring some guys. <laughs> yeah,
0: and so so you had a couple of weeks ago gone the Erie. You know we've seen. Various stories you've written from your time there, uh, which are available if you're a subscriber to The Athletic. The one that came out this week was the Dylan Dingler conversation, and this was a guy who was killing it this year. First of all, highly regarded pick at the time. Everyone was really happy with that pick, like national pundits and stuff like that, and did well at the alternative site in in the COVID year started out really hot and high A gets the double A and kind of comes to a screeching halt a little bit the numbers aren't there and then he gets hurt I didn't know that he I didn't know that's how he got the injury it was that he got crossed up and basically took a fast was it, took a fastball to yeah, the I think so <laughs> that's painful
1: sounds <laughs> like it and also just kind of a freak thing I mean it was his 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 glove hand so it just hit his glove very awkwardly um, fractured his finger yeah the first time we talked about D- dingler on this podcast you were you were playing up the dingler hype and i was hyping i was like i i could just never see him following the same trajectory as uh green and twerkelson as last week's story kind of outlined mostly because he's a catcher and catchers just take time they have to do so much more they have to learn so much more, and Dingler and Arnie Baylor, the manager at Erie, and A.J. Hinch really talk about it in this story. Double-A is kind of the level, it seems like, where the little things of being a catcher really become important. The game planning, the defense, really starts to take center stage. I like what Arnie Baylor said. He said, Mize and Scoople don't care if you can hit. You know, They need you to put down the right fingers and and, uh, trust that you can help get them through a game. And there is a ton of truth to that. It's, it's unfortunate that Dingler's offensive numbers have fallen off. I think he's still a really talented offensive catcher. But again, the grind of a long season. He's playing the toughest position in baseball. I'm not necessarily um, stunned that he ran into some struggles in A. And again, really talented guy, but just not quite the elite advanced hitter that, that Green and Torkelson are. But I think there's also some proper perspective in that piece from Arnie Baylor, from A.J. Hinch, saying, hey, it's okay. Like, this is normal. This is almost to be expected of a guy, especially a catcher. A.J. says, look, this season has been a success for, for Dingler without any doubt. And that is super true. This guy's stock is still high. In a way, maybe it's good that he can catch his breath here with this injury a little bit. Maybe it does... Push the timeline back. I don't think Dingler's going to be uh, on your your opening day roster next season or anything like that. But he still has a very bright future in this organization. I think it's just kind of uh, um, water finding its level, like a more realistic look at Dingler and and what his future timeline can be like.
0: So when I when I was reading that piece and you know reading the quotes from everybody and sort of like how they view developing catchers i thought god is there a more unfair uh way to get a guy to develop and see if he can be a major league player and because so basically they're telling him right now you just need to learn how to call a game and all the things that go into that and it's a lot it's not it's not like all right first pitch fastball Second pitch, curveball, third pitch, fastball. Like, there's a lot to it, and even at top programs, like in in college, like coaches call pitches.
1: So you, Singler, I believe, called the pitches at Ohio State. Okay. That's one thing they they always liked about. Well,
0: me. that's okay. That's a good thing, but uh, that's typically college coaches love control. They know that's that speaks to how much they valued him because I doubt that's typical. But anyway. And then he's he's basically got to spend all of his time learning that part of the game and then kind of try to figure out how to be a hitter as well. So there, so by the time you get up to like A and, you know, spring training and, and whether he can make a team or whatever, then the conversation is going to become, well, is his back good enough? And it's like, wait, wait, you just told him, <laughs> you developed him to just focus on this part of the game. You have the double A coach saying Casey Mize doesn't care if you hit, and <laughs> and and you know, and then it's like, well, we can't keep him because he can't hit. Well, he maybe he can't hit because you had to you had a you had to have him focus on this, and this is not an indictment of the Tigers. I'm just saying, like, this is probably going on in every organization. Like, Jake Rogers went through this. Now there was some refinement with his defense that also needed work, but at the same time, like. He didn't make the team because he couldn't hit right out of spring training.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. Rogers, I think, is a great example for the development of a catcher. I mean, we were about ready to write this guy off because, oh, he couldn't hit. And, you know, he, he shows up to spring training, and, oh, he's the best defensive catcher in all the minor leagues. And A.J. Hinch gets one look at him and says, dude, like, you're not even setting up right. And for as good as Rogers was, he had a lot to learn. He had a lot of refinement to do. Defensively, he probably needed that first month or so in um, in Triple A, or I guess it was actually at the alternate. It's weird to think there was an alternate site this year. There was for (laughs) for the first month of the season. Um, You know, and now he's up here, and I mean he's hurt now. But the bat's always been a question with Jake. I think Dingler is viewed as a better offensive catcher in general. Maybe not quite the elite tier of defensive ability that that Rogers has, but again, it's about learning the little things. And Jake Rogers, Jake Rogers first taste of the big leagues in '19, his defense wasn't that great either, because he had a lot to learn.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those things where like I feel like some of these guys are in like impossible spots. Where I mean, because I do believe that Casey Mines truly doesn't care whether they can hit. Like, I, I do firmly <laughs> believe that. But at the same time, like, you can't trot someone out there who literally can't hit, you know? So that, that's right. a, it's a little bit of a catch 22. Uh, catcher news this week uh, the recently required Just uh, Dustin, excuse me, Dustin Gardeau, uh, sticking with the club a little bit. The Tigers decided to option Grayson Griner down the AAA once Eric Haas was healthy again and Gardo, you know he's had some moments i mean i i feel like i feel better about him in the lineup than i do Griner. and you know sure grinder's a nice guy and all but i'm i'm just about done seeing him as catcher like he had a shot good for him he earned the spot out of spring training with how he played i said that at the time he earned it good for him but I think we've seen enough. I think we've seen enough and you know maybe maybe Dustin's able to provide you some organizational depth or you know just have a, a nice guy in in your uh, arsenal to to put out there who can swing the bat a little bit. I don't know how he is calling games. that's something that you being there every day you could you could speak to. but you know I, I like that that he's earned his shot. I like guys who earn their shots and he's earned his shot right now.
1: A great example of what it's like to be a catcher, Dustin Garneau is a 206 lifetime hitter with a .290 on base percentage. He's played parts of seven years in the big leagues. Now, parts of seven years, he's actually only accrued uh, just over two years of actual major league surface time. So he's been up and down a lot, but the guy's a grinder, as A.J. Hinch likes to point out. Dustin Garneau caught for the Astros in the NLCS last season. Like, this guy has some experience. Um, the Tigers kept him around largely because they could not option him back to triple A. They would have to DFA him and risk losing him again with the injuries at the catcher position. They really needed to retain three, you know, guys capable of playing in the big leagues. So it was easier to option Griner because Griner could be optioned. But my other thought here is, man, what, what was going on with the catcher position in spring training? Um as AJ said he basically didn't give Eric Haas a, a fair shot. He you know, he admitted that um a few weeks ago. And then it's like all right, with Grant, like was Griner just small sample, but I think Garneau calls a much better game than Griner. And Griner did hit the ball pretty well in spring training, but if we're being realistic about their offensive capabilities, they're probably pretty comparable, maybe a little more pop in Griner's bat, but pretty similar, and then Garneau has more experience, and it it sure looks to me like he calls a better game. Griner's Griner's had some rough game-calling displays lately, and I'm I'm with you, you know, Grayson is a very nice guy, stand-up guy, but uh, I thought we had kind of seen all we needed to see before this year, and definitely... Now and I, I'm kind of like, what took so long for us to just admit that Dustin Garneau is, is probably better than Grayson Greiner? Like, why are we just now uh, reaching that conclusion?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Garneau surprisingly old too. He's 34. He does. He uh, wow. he's not it. So whatever he's doing, good. Well, he 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 looks he looks. Well, on TV, I don't know. Maybe it's the haircut. Maybe he's got a, he's got a okay. youthful haircut. I think maybe that goes a long way.
1: He's like he's like bald, or he's got a. a well, it, lo- buzz. it looks like
0: a buzz cut to me. I think I don't know. Maybe that makes me think he's younger. Okay. But you know, talk about the uh, the journey of a the journey of a uh, of a of a catcher. I mean, he's been in the major leagues for like six years, and he's just. Bounced around, like you said. Go goes from catching in the NLCS to uh being essentially bought for cash like <laughs> like eight months
1: late no, he was in the Tigers organization and then they they you know, he opted out and was playing uh back in the Astros system, I think, or was it the Rock I don't even know where the, I think maybe it was the Rocky system. I don't even know. He was just kinda in the wilderness and then he got a call and suddenly he was back up and he was starting the next day for the Tigers in the big leagues. That is the life of being kind of the second and third four, A type catcher in, in the majors for sure. And AJ Hinch himself lived that life for a couple of years toward the, the end of his big one league last period. thing
0: on the, on the dingler conversation. Uh, I went back to 2014 and I jotted down the second round picks for the Detroit Tigers. Uh, by the way, 2015 was the last Dombrowski draft. So, uh, just, just for your information, everybody. So, 14 was Turnbull. 15 was Tyler Alexander. Uh, they did not have a second-round pick in 2016. Their second draft pick was a fourth-rounder, and now it's Funkhauser. 2017, Ronaldo Rivera um, was a college outfielder. Did not pan out. Uh, 18, Parker Meadows. Uh, 2019, Nick Quintana. And who is kind of just like Parker, kind of shuffling in the in the A's of the minor leagues, and then uh, obviously Dingler was in 2020, and then this year was the high school shortstop uh, Isaac Pacheco. So it's not a great track record there, um, especially as we look when Al took over. Uh, not not a great track record. It'd be nice for a second round pick to be able to be a contributor. You know, those are those are still valued prospects that, uh, thus far have not turned out. So I think it's time for our AJ Hinch suggestion box. Uh, I have one that's kind of short, sweet. I hope it's kind of funny. So we talked about, we've talked about mustaches on this podcast, probably more (laughs) than the average baseball podcast, I would say. (laughs) And I don't know if that's good or bad, but we have because of Jake Rogers and then Tyler Alexander started sporting one. So I think AJ needs to grow a mustache because he's on record as saying that it looks dumb on or whatever word he used on uh, Jake Rogers. And I don't know if he was asked specifically about it with Tyler Alexander, but I would imagine the answer would be the same. So I think that in order to prove a point sort of like take the coolness and the hipness out of uh, out of the stash on the ball club. I think he should grow one out and then just just kind of show him up a little bit. Like, just like, you see how stupid this is? And then I think that would get his message across.
1: I, I think it would be fitting. AJ's over here trying to bring back small ball. So if you're going to manage like Billy Martin, maybe you should start looking like Billy Martin. Oh, yeah. Um. I also think there's... You're really not trying to improve your batting average here, Kieran. I think there's zero chance A.J. Hinch will ever grow a mustache. In fact, he kind of values being clean-shaven. I think he's been clean-shaven his entire life. And
0: no, this one will This one will definitely be a W because it's indisputable <laughs> that it would be a good idea. Not whether he would do it. It's indisputable oh, okay. that it's a good idea. So that's a dub.
1: <laughs> Mine... Um, Real quick, I think Jose Urania is starting Saturday, and Tyler Alexander is going to uh, be like the bulk reliever. I think AJ is doing that just to keep us humble a little bit. We were we were gloating a little bit last week. Uh, I think he could just as easily start Alexander and have Urania be the bulk reliever. In fact, that might even be the plan next time through the rotation. I think just to just keep us on our toes, he's going to give Urania this start here on Saturday and
0: DFAing your boy.
1: Nunez. Uh, well, Nune- yeah, Nunez has been released um, in part to give him opportunities elsewhere, but he did he did get the brief second chance, so good for Renato. I wish him luck elsewhere. I hope he goes on to hit thirty homers for someone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, my I'm also keeping it real easy this week. I didn't have any great baseball um, roster type suggestions, but we saw the Tigers play the Cardinals in Bush stadium. We saw Casey Mize get an RBI walk and flip his bat. We posted on Instagram a picture of him like running down the first baseline, not looking very athletic with the <laughs> caption run producer. I, I almost died. It was hilarious. Uh, but why did it take us 120 years to realize that pitchers hitting is just foolish? I mean, I know it was a little bit different way back in the day. Um, Walter Johnson hit, like, 403 one season, but, like, pitchers have not been good hitters for a long, long time. Why have we continued this kind of charade? I don't know. So A.J. Hinch has voiced his disapproval, Doesn't not a real big fan of it. I think uh, next time the Tigers go to a National League park, which they will coming up, I think A.J. needs to really come out and, and take a stand in the media and really really bargain or really make a point that it's just time for the universal DH uh, be a little more outspoken, try to lead this charge to make sure there's no doubt that a universal DH takes hold next season. And and hopefully Casey Mize never has to step up to the plate again in his career.
0: Yeah. There's nothing better than, uh, than when it's interleague play. I mean, the conversation kind of happens during world series games, but when there's interleague play, and it's the American t- League team on the road. And, like, the in-house fighting of baseball Twitter, like, basically everyone who's associated with an American League team, whether, like, you cover an American League team or you're a fan of it, you just despise, like, it, like uh, Dan Dickerson on the radio just, just, <laughs> just going after this whole situation because he's like, you know, so-and-so just... Didn't even stand there interested in the batter's box, you know. He's just <laughs> he's just like <laughs> lamenting that he has to like call a pitcher at bat. Uh, although obviously the the bat flip was pretty funny from Casey Mize, and that that post was uh, also hilarious. Uh, I don't know, but that but then with with the National League people, oh well, this is the more pure form of the sport. The doubles. The double switch. Who
1: cares Those about the doubles, double switch? They love the double switch,
0: Cody. Why? It, it's like it's like the last thing they can hold on to of everything that is good and whole in this world in their mind is the double switch. Like you just have to. There
1: can never be another double switch again, and everything will be just <laughs> fine. The sport will carry on. But the double switch. What a stupid argument.
0: They love it. They love it, and so they they got their heels dug in. It's sort of like old school even though the DH has been around for a very long time at this point. It's sort of like old school versus new school where, you know, it's like you don't understand, man, like this is the better form of baseball and then the American League is, you know, no, you don't understand. This is way better. <laughs> <laughs> this is just this is just better.
1: In my opinion, I think it's ridiculous that we have 9 spots in the order but one of them is just basically an automatic out or it's this guy who's going to try to bunt, but we don't even really know if he can bunt, because he's, you know, he hasn't hit since high school, and he's not athletic at all. Like, that just makes no sense. Like, what are we doing here? Come on. That's like, okay, in the NFL, you can have a four receiver set, but your fourth receiver has to be a lineman. You know, like... (laughs) (laughs) Like, what are we doing?
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's a really good point. Uh, But is that... And again, the CBA will be a heavy conversation for us uh, in the off season. But uh, is that something that baseball is also going to try to tackle in the off season? Is the whole universal DH thing, or I, is that?
1: I, I, I'm under the impression it will be kind of part of the negotiations for what the the game and the league will look like in the future, and that will probably be involved in, in the CBA. Yeah,
0: because that wonder... and that that
1: also does affect um, creates more jobs for position players if the if the NL needs a DH, I also think it's uh, a little bit of a pro labor take.
0: Well, I was gonna say, I want, I don't, I have no idea who's on when that when that is presented between the union and the and the commissioner. Where's the pushback? Like you know, like 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 who's gonna who's gonna push back on? Probably that someone who's like
1: but the double switch. <laughs> 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 Uh, I would, I would think, I, I'm pretty sure the players are definitely in favor of it. I think the league is too, but when you get into negotiations, we know these there's some pretty hard line negotiations. I think maybe the league can be a little res, reticent to, okay. well, we'll give you the universal DH if you give us, you know, X. In well, that's probably what it well, it's
0: Well, actually, yeah, I was going to say somebody, maybe it could be the players. I don't know. Someone's going to use that as sort of like, uh like they're gonna be hard against it but they know they're gonna fold on in order to get this like yeah. they're gonna fake being against it sort of like uh like a basketball coach working the referee making a stink about something that about just to get this call later I I, yeah. I I could see either side doing it actually like faking outrage about the universal dh but but yeah there's there seems to be little reason to keep that in i think it'd be a good idea for aj to to use his voice. He's
1: a he's a important voice in the sport. I think he can speak out and let's really let's just leave no doubt about this. Let's just leave no doubt. Let's start the charge now. Get it over with. No more pictures in it.
0: And in your mind with AJ, you think people at large are over him being the manager of the of the sign stealing Astros, like it like, um, if he comes de- out in favor yeah. of that, uh, or Universal DH, you're going to be like, why are we listening to this guy? Like, he, he he was the one with the... They'll, like, miscorrectly say, like, he was the one that orchestrated the sign stealing, you know? Yeah. Like, that kind of misinformation. You think there would be, like, a lot of people t- still talking about that with him?
1: I think... like people in Detroit are definitely over it, and it, like, never gets brought up anymore at all. I do think this is going to reoccur especially if the tigers continue to rise on the national scene i've already seen a little bit on twitter like oh aj's their manager he's a cheater he's a disgrace he shouldn't have another chance i think we're going to hear a little bit more of that from the national crowd over the next couple of years i think there are a lot of people out there who don't even really realize aj is managing the tigers and then you know if the tigers are in the playoffs next year in a couple of years i think i think we'll start hearing those chirps more but i think like Anyone who is actually influential or like serious at the sport is is kind of past that at this point. You know, I think it's more people on Twitter looking for something to complain about.
0: Well, it's definitely gonna be part of the conversation if they sign Correa. Yes,
1: it will be. Yes, it will be.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. That would be a really good uh, case study for what the national people really think about AJ. Is if he came out really hard against the universal DH try to use his voice and if they sign Correa um the reaction to that would probably tell us a lot um I don't see it a whole lot from the Astro players specifically um don't see it at all with Alex Cora um unfortunately we haven't heard from Carlos Beltran uh since he was let go as manager when when all this broke out so That'll be a good case study. I'm actually looking forward to that. And the Tigers are an exciting team. It's a, it's a good time to be able to watch the Tigers. It's also a good time to follow Cody on Twitter if you don't. I assume if you listen, you already do, but maybe you could tell someone, hey, you should follow this guy. Cody's very close to 10K followers on Twitter. Uh, it definitely needs to happen by the end of the season. I'm very confident that it will. But that's the movement. Hashtag get Cody to 10K. You can follow him on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am not important, but I kind of like followers. I'm following Kieran too. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley, and our podcast page is at Turn Corner Pod. You can subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple, and please leave a review. We love five star reviews. It's uh, it's fun to see that people enjoy our work. Just like it's fun for Cody to be able to feed Olive because the fact he was able to feed of means that he is gamefully employed because people enjoy his riding. So be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Thank you for listening.